Welcome to the Blaze and Bush Podcast. I'm Jeff Bush, and along with my co-host Jim Blaze, we are here to share with you authentic stories of God's extraordinary revelation in ordinary lives. Our hope is that like Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, you may encounter the Lord through these humble experiences. Welcome to the podcast. On today's show, Jim and I will be visiting with Joe Sotowasser, who shares a story of how a simple act of kindness was actually a tremendous revelation of God. Joe's experience happened to be shared with his mom, and this is especially timely as we're only a few days out from Mother's Day. So Joe, why don't you go ahead and tell us your story? So um, this is back probably 15 or, or so, probably more than that years ago. Um, I had a, an uncle who has since passed away, a very, very wonderful holy man um, who uh, had a calling to the priesthood a little bit later in life. He was um, pretty accomplished. He was a, a PhD, a college professor, wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, and, and to give you an example of the type of person he was, he uh, was the person that literally would bring people off the street to family Christmas or Thanksgiving. There'd just be somebody at the table and, uh, and, and he would bring them along because they didn't have a family or somebody to, uh, to be with them. And so that was Michael Don. That's just the type of guy he was. Okay. Um, and so he got this calling to the priesthood a little bit later in life after um, he, had, he had helped take care of uh, my grandparents, his parents. And after his father had passed away, my grandfather, he you know, kind of started uh, getting that calling. At any rate, um, while he was in the seminary um, as a transitional deacon, so fairly far along, he was um, diagnosed with uh, brain cancer. Wow. And it kind of came out of nowhere. He actually, um, right after uh, mass one day, kind of collapsed and all this kind of unfolded quickly. Uh, no kidding. There. Yeah, uh, his whole vestment and, and the whole bit. So at any rate... Um, from there, uh, he he kind of became um, bedridden, and they went through chemotherapy and, and the like. Uh, and so during all of this, he'd already he was a transitional deacon at that point. Um, the the bishop at the time, and this was not here in St. Louis, this was uh, somewhere else. The bishop at the time um, still ordained him, which I thought was absolutely wonderful. That is so awesome. He, yeah, he became a priest, and uh, his his first mass was done in a wheelchair. They built a different altar for him. Wow! And, oh, wow! That's and, incredible. And a little bit. And, um, one of my uh, favorite memories is being uh, in my grandparents' home while he was bedridden. So their living room turned into kind of his hospital room. And he's saying mass as a priest from his hospital bed. Wow. Um, and again, that's the kind of guy he was. He, yeah, he, he, was, he felt, you could just see he was, he was overjoyed to be doing that, to be able to, to say mass and, and the whole bit there. So again, that's the type of guy he was. He never complained. So he's going is I would say a very, very difficult thing, something that I don't know that I would you know, have the strength to, to go through, certainly not with a you know, positive attitude. Um, so he's the, he's the youngest of uh, five. Okay. My mother is the next youngest, so they're pretty close. She's uh, retired now but was a nurse, and she actually took a leave of absence from her job to care for him. Uh, which I thought was amazing and a wonderful yeah. thing. And you know, it, was, it was a great bond with them. Um, and that's kind of where the story uh, begins. So she took this leave of absence. She's caring for him every day and um, and very involved with him. Well, he was having a very a particularly 
difficult uh, time, uh, just a just a hard day. Didn't ever complain at all. Um, but as I was kind of refreshing my memory of this story, uh, my mom reminded me that just just very obviously in a whole lot of pain. Okay, you know, you can just see it and tell it, and that got to her. Because she's watching her younger brother literally lay there dying, right? Yes. And yeah. he has just given everything um, to the Lord. He's this faithful person, uh, does everything for other people, and he's dying in front of her. And oh. it got to her. And so as she was uh, driving, uh, as, she, as she left my grandparents' home that day, she's driving down the road just screaming at everyone in heaven about, you know, how unfair this is and how awful it is. And, um, and, and she remembered yelling that if anybody cares, she needed a sign that, that this is all real, that this matters, that there's something, you know, something behind all of this. Cause she's going crazy. Right. And she needed a sign that not just something, it couldn't just be a, you know, the typical, like a cloud in the sky or something vague that could be misinterpreted. She said, I need a dozen red roses and that'll be my sign. And if you really care, if you really give give a care, throw in a white one. So I'm sure. Wow. So very so specific. That, that, that was her very specific instruction. Yeah. My mom is a very faithful person as well, for what it's worth. A very faithful right. family. And but this was that kind of that breaking point that called everything into question. So kind of simultaneous to this, I'm gone at college at this point. I was coming home for the uh, for the weekend. And I just happened to stop at uh, the store and said, I'll get my mom some flowers, which I didn't do often for what it's worth. And right. if you all remember back to your college day, you were a poor college kid, right? That's Yeah, that's you don't know. Oh, roses very are expensive. Flowers money. are expensive. Yeah. Right. So that's that precious gas money. Um, so I stopped and I got these, um, I got a dozen red roses. And for whatever reason, uh, I got a white rose and stuck it in the middle of it because I remembered my mom, like, you know, she, she likes white roses as well. So got home, put them on the kitchen table, and I'm uh, in the living room talking to my uh, dad, and my now, mom got home. Now, did your dad know about her prayer or her? No, okay. no. She was okay. not even, she's not even home at this point yet. So this is all like, this is a simultaneous Oh, oh this is at the same time. So as my mom is driving home screaming, I'm probably pulling into the driveway with these things. Holy oh, my cow. God. So you actually, you were picking up the roses. Really, yeah, probably, probably before she left, before she probably. even requested it. Is that? Yeah, or, or certainly, yeah, certainly around the same time. Yeah, uh, very close to the same time. Yeah, I'm not quite sure which would have been first. but Okay. So, yeah, no, no, this is not like a few days later or she, okay. my father and her would have a conversation or anything. So we're sit, my, sitting in the living room with my dad having a conversation. My mom walks in, walks into the kitchen and starts screaming uh, <laughs> about, about these flowers and I, I, to this day, I, I appreciate the first thing my father said is, now you understand why I don't buy your mom flowers. <laughs> so, um, at any rate, uh, that's everything unfolded from there. I mean, as she's you know, going through all this and processing this, she's explaining this to me. And um, I, I, knowing that I was going to talk to you all about this, I actually called my mom a, a couple of weeks ago and talked the story about her. And Yeah with her and um, she told me that to this day that comes back to her anytime she questions or even starts to think about anything she just remembers back to that and I think that was a day that really solidified things for her oh absolutely that, um, 
Absolutely. God is real. This, our faith is very real and, and alive and well. And that, you know, that kind of that thin veil that we hear about, that's real in there. So, Well, it's, it's just so personal and so like intimate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, 100%. I can't imagine uh, what she must have been. I mean, w- she had to be in tears. I imagine, uh, like, I would be overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, without question. The other thing I got to tell you, um, as I was even reflecting about this, regardless of that sign, I think this is one of those times where you can, people probably have this at some point in their lives where there's a lesson to be learned, right? And you learn something. And, um, and it wasn't until like a number of years later, I realized how much I learned about living by watching my uncle lie there dying. Oh yeah, you know how he's living his life and going through that. And I, I remember, I remember praying the rosary, sitting there with you know family members around him and talking, and and, and as I'm absorbing that, I mean, uh, how he just embraced that and had that you know kind of that trust, and and it was never something he talked about. You didn't, he didn't need to. It was just part of him and who he was. So, um, at any rate, that's uh, that's how that all came to fruition and, and came to be. So that's amazing. Oh. That's so fantastic. Well, and you know what? Like speaking of your uncle's witness, I mean, that's um, that's where the seeds are planted. That's where you're prepared for for these things. Your parents must have had an amazing home growing up first for him to to be the kind of guy that he is, but also for your mom to end up being so selfless in serving him. Uh, and what great love, obviously, she had for him. But also, I think there's something faith filled about even crying out to to God and to the communion of saints that surround us, there's something faith-filled about that that is, I think, fantastic. Joe, that's an incredible story. I mean, wow, it's so remarkable. It, it really is. And I think um, as we were discussing this, as we were sharing on Joe's story, it reminded us of uh, the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe and— uh, so we wanted to share that with with uh, our listeners. Jeff has a uh, little background prepared in case you're unfamiliar. Yeah, there's so many similarities between this reflection that Joe has shared with us this morning and the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, but just to walk through that story relatively quickly here, it happens to begin with a gentleman by the name of Juan Diego, who is a 57-year-old poor Aztec Indian. Uh, And the story takes place in central Mexico. And as Juan Diego is walking to chapel one morning uh, through the Tepeyac Hill country in central Mexico, he encounters a woman. And this woman he encounters appears to him surrounded by a ball of light as bright as the sun. And she identifies herself as Mary, the mother of God. And she tells Juan Diego that she wants a church to be built in this very place where they were standing, and that Juan is to go run and tell the bishop about this. Well, Juan certainly runs and tells the bishop about it, but the bishop is skeptical at the request. And and naturally disappointed, Juan returns to the place where he encountered Our Lady, and he finds her there waiting for him. Well, she tells him to go back to the bishop the next day and repeat the request which he does. But this time, the bishop tells Juan Diego to ask her to provide a sign of who she was. So he returns to the hill, relays the message to Mary, and she says to come back the next day, and the bishop will get a sign. However, Juan isn't able to return the next day, 
as his uncle had fallen gravely ill. So he decided to stay with his uncle, and after two days, he ends up leaving his side to go and find a priest, as his uncle is very near death. So on his way to find a priest, he had to pass by the Tepeyac Hill, where he had found Mary waiting for him. She tells Juan that there is really no need to go find a priest, that his uncle is now going to be well, and he's not going to die at this time. But she tells Juan to go to the top of the hill and gather cotillion roses. Well, it happens that the top of the hill wasn't suitable for growing flowers at that time. It happened to be very cold, and quite frankly, it was frozen at the top of the hill. But Juan followed the request and went to the top of the hill where he found cotillion roses in full bloom. So he brought the flowers to Mary, and she arranges them in his tilma. And she then said to take these flowers to the bishop, but make sure not to show the flowers to anybody before the bishop. So when he got to the bishop, he opened up his tilma, and these flowers fall out. And it was at this time that the bishop and his advisors fell to their knees, because behind the roses was now a beautiful picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So this, this tilma is actually still on display in the cathedral uh, in Mexico. It is. It and is. So it, it has survived this long. They're actually, um, we don't want to delve into all the miraculous occurrences. We just, we bring it up to, to raise the connections to Joe's story. But uh, you can look up and you can find there are a number of miraculous aspects to this tilma. Yeah, there's, there's a number of miraculous aspects. No, nonetheless, I, I believe this basilica was bombed at one point in time. Right. And this tilma remained unharmed. It survived. There's a number of other... It caught fire. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 There's a number of other instances where, you know, this tilma certainly could have been charred or destroyed right. or, or what have you, but has remained intact. Now, what I think is really fascinating about this story, and I want to make sure that we share this with the listeners, because if you really think about some of the details associated with the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the this, this story that Joe has shared with us. You know, for one, Juan Diego's uncle is very sick. He's gravely ill yeah. in the story. Joe's story started off with his uncle. Right, a faith-filled man who, who was dying. And that's uh, that's a pretty... It's funny because we hadn't thought of that when we first mentioned Guadalupe. Well, the other thing too, and and I didn't know Joe's story about his uncle becoming ordained and in, in, in really receiving this call very late in his life. I think what's a fascinating detail is the fact that Juan Diego is 57 years old right. in this story, a 57-year-old poor Aztec Indian man. You know, 57 years is is not a spring chicken. Right. He was he was getting toward the end, especially at that time, um, getting up in age. Yeah. So, yeah. And then roses are used as a sign yes. in both of these stories. There's there's someone who has doubts um as to the truth of a of a matter, either first in Joe's 
Joe's mother had uh, uh, had creeping doubts, and then the bishop uh, certainly doubted whether Juan Diego was um, being honest. Yeah, yeah. But the roses in yeah. both of these stories solidify faith. In Joe's story, it solidifies faith for his mother. Right. And did you know this? In the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, after this apparition, for the next six years, there are six million Aztecs that convert to Catholicism. I mean, that's staggering. In six years. Yeah, yeah, in six years. That's, it really is staggering. I think prior to that, uh, there had been missionary work I- in that area, uh, especially among the Aztecs, but with far less effectiveness. I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like, it was something to the order of 100,000 people entered the church in 10 years of effort. And then you have this miracle of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and there are 6 million in the next six years. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and speaking of apparitions, I believe we're going to go back to Joe here shortly because I understand he has another story. That's right. And it's really the... Um, I actually see a connection, much like the conversion of the people of Mexico and the apparition of Our Lady to Juan Diego. You have this building of faith, and then it it blossoms, if you, if you pardon the pun. Uh, later on... Through uh, through the conversion of those uh, of the Aztec people, well, in a similar way, Joe has his own experience that allows for a uh, conversion. So, well, well, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and have Joe share his second story? That sounds good. Hey, it's Jim again. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when he finds something really worthwhile, likes to tell people about it. So I wanted just a minute here to tell you about a line of Christ-centered clothing called God's Brand. I personally have several God's Brand items, pullovers, button-downs, a really nice quarter-zip fleece. They're stylish, and they help me represent my faith in everyday life. When you get a chance, check out godsbrand.com. They have all sorts of styles for almost any occasion. Again, they're at God's brand, all one word, dot com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. So the second story uh, that, that I relate is uh, specific to me. Um, I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Catholic, um, Catholic home, you know, mass on Sundays, uh, Catholic education and grade school, high school, Catholic college. So uh, pretty, I, I would say a Catholic upbringing. Sure. Uh, is, I described my childhood. And as a lot of uh, people do, probably unfortunately, I got lax in that. Uh, when after, you know, we, my wife and I moved away and I wouldn't say lax in the sense of, you know, mass on Sundays and the like, but lax in, in my faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were very, we were involved in the church that we were in. I was uh, serving on the parish finance council where we were at, and and involved. But it was in an area that um, I would say is a little bit more. Uh, the church was probably a little bit more liberal. Okay. And uh, it wasn't bad at all. Wonderful people involved, but um, probably not quite as I would say faith filled. And when we moved to St. Louis, um, and 
I, people talk, some people talk about it here, but I think some take it for granted. This is a wonderful faith-filled community. Certainly, um, our parish uh, is, I, in my belief, but the community just in general yeah. um, is, a, is a much more, in my experience, more faith-filled. And so when we got here, uh, it had been a long time since I had been to confession. And a long, I, I was starting to kind of go down this road in this thought process of, of um, questioning things. Not questioning the existence of God, but questioning is the Catholic Church, is that is that real? Is that the church and, right. and, and the like? And so I started, you know, you see all these other, uh, uh Christian denominations, right. And other, uh, Protestant churches. And, um, some of them have the allure, right. Of, uh, a more, maybe a more engaging, um, service or you know, something along those lines. Yeah. So I started questioning things a little bit and then, um, uh, by the, by the grace of God ran into, um, Scott Hahn's book that I think so many have, and there's so many stories around this, right? Rome Sweet Home. And right. I, as I'm reading through that book, I realize, what am I doing here? This, I, this is all right in front of me. This is it. This is, you know, this is exactly where I need to be. So I uh, read through all that and it is weighing on me that I hadn't been to confession in a decade. Okay. And I thought, you, you know, I got to get back. I got to do this. But there was always a reason, always a reason not to, you know, it's difficult or, is that is that real? Is that really? You know, am I still welcome to go back there? And you know, you kind of have that shroud up or that. Oh yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, intimidating. It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Well, my office is about a block from the Basilica uh, in St. Louis, and, uh, <laughs> so I have just this, which is it's been a wonderful experience. I mean, what a, it's what a what a great place to go to mass. Yes, and walk in and be you know just in the you know in the presence. And so I had been going to daily mass. So I knew exactly what time, you know, they do confession there every single day after morning mass. And it's very, it's a very easy process, but I still didn't go. And um, I had still been thinking about it. And so I've been going back and forth and pondering it, coming with every excuse in the world. And I very clearly remember one day, um, and this was after um, uh, Bishop Herman had done the mass, a day or two prior and his homily was, you know, one of those blinding flashes of the obvious, what spoke directly to me in my pew in the middle of the silica that, Hey, you're supposed to go to confession. He has a gift for that. Yeah. And I still didn't listen. <laughs> so, so fast forward a couple more days and I'm driving down, uh, 40 coming into my office in the morning and I'm thinking about this. I'm pondering this and I'm thinking, nah, I'm not going to go today. It's just, it's not today. Time was perfect. Uh, that I could have made it there. I'm not going to go. It's a busy day, whatever the excuse was. And just clear as day, I hear, um, just out of nowhere, I did this for you. That's all I hear. I did this for you. And I look over, and next to me on Highway 40 is a truck, and it looks um, exactly like a cross on the back of this truck. <laughs> so I'm like blinking and looking at the thing and it ended up, it was like a tow truck and the boom and, and the whole bit. But just at that instant, I hear, I did this for you. And I look over and I see this. And, there's cross, a cross. And, and needless to say, I got off on the exit. I went to the Basilica. That was enough. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Went to, went to confession and I told the priest, I'm here and this is why and it's been 10 years and, you know, laid it all out there. And, um, that, that kind of brought me back full circle to that. And so that's another example of those, um, God speaking certainly was to me that day and kind of hit me over the head because I was too dense to, uh, heed the, you know, the gentle, 
uh, nudges. Right. So. The <laughs> you know what? Like I've heard far longer than ten years. I have to be honest with you, Joe. Um, but uh, that is, I I think that's a great. Uh, I don't want to undercut that because that is as great and personal to you as I think the flowers were for your mom. Um, I I think that's fantastic. The uh, uh, just the the love, you know, just the beckoning and the love. That's awesome. Well, and it's so inspiring to hear that, you know, regardless the time in between confessions, regardless the situation, how deep you know, your faith was or your mom's faith was or how thin it might have been at a particular moment, you know, you still turned to God. Yeah. And he was there for you. Yeah. Joe, thank you very much. We we really appreciate you sharing these stories today on the podcast. You know, we hope that everybody has found some encouragement from these stories. We certainly believe there's a couple of lessons to be learned here. You know, first and foremost, listen to God. Second, get to confession. And go buy your mom some flowers. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blazenbush Podcast. Be sure and check out our website at blazenbush.com, as well as follow and like Blazenbush on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, God bless. God bless.